God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, perfect, eternal, and conscience-binding word. Uh, we will be reading this morning for, from Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, if you'll turn there in your Bibles. Acts chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 44 to 52. Acts chapter 13. 
The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. This morning as we pray, we're going to especially remember Nathaniel and Kayla Perry. Uh, they were going to be with us this morning, but we're delayed and they'll be with us next Sunday. But we want to remember them as they serve in a very difficult, challenging field and uh, that is not open to the gospel. And yet there are hearts there that are eager to hear God's word. So we're going to pray for them, uh, especially this morning. So join with me. Our gracious Lord, we're so thankful that uh, we can come before your throne and that we could expect that you would hear and receive our prayers. And Lord, uh, that uh, you would not only hear them, but that you would answer according to your perfect will. And so, Father, we pray that uh, as we come today, that you would purify our hearts, that you would cleanse us, and that you would cause us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we acknowledge this morning that we fall far short of your glory, even as you have commanded us to be holy. Lord, we rejoice that that impossible thing has been made possible, that there, where there was no way that you have made a way through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all who would believe, that all would confess you as Savior and Lord, all who would confess our sins, Lord, that you would be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, that... Uh, you have enabled us, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that this church would be a shining light on a hill for your glory and for your purpose, and that you would work among your people to accomplish your will. And, Father, that you would cause us to love one another with a love that reflects the love of Christ himself, for he, even as he has loved us. And, Lord, we pray that we would be a people that are not easily offended, that we would forbear and that we would... Um, that we would forgive one another even as you have forgiven us. And so, Lord, we ask that today that uh, you would work in our hearts and that uh, we would be eager to hear your word and not only to hear it and rejoice, but, Lord, that we would be transformed as we are, as we are changed, Lord, from glory to glory by the power of your word and the work of your spirit into the very image of Christ. And, Lord, may we honor you in all that we do and all that we say. And, Lord, may we proclaim with boldness the glorious gospel of Christ. And so, Lord, uh, we come before you today, especially remembering Nathaniel and Kayla Perry, who serve you so faithfully and trust you so fully in their work. Lord, in a, in a field that uh, uh, is not eager to receive, and yet so many, Lord, want to hear your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would accomplish your work and will in their lives as they prepare to go back. And, Lord, we commit them to you and ask your grace and your strength that you would keep them in the hollow of your hand. And so, Lord, we thank you for these things. For you and you alone are worthy of our praise and worthy of all glory, that you and you alone are worthy of all honor and power and majesty and authority. And so, Lord, this morning, we, we come before you with that in mind. And Lord, we just commit our lives to you anew, this service to you, Lord. We pray that your will would be accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Lord, thank you for a body of believers who can worship alongside one another and encourage one another. God, we thank you for the hope that you give in Christ, that you have rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God, thank you so much for your grace and for the chance to have a relationship with you forever. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand your word this morning. And God, please strengthen us to seek to remember it and meditate on it and carry it out in our own lives by your power. God, we love you and we ask that you be lifted up this morning. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Good to be with all of you today to open up God's Word, and love it when we get to get together, and uh, love it when people come from near and far. One of our elders, uh, Alan Check, that moved away uh, a little while ago to be up with the kids, is here today with his son-in-law, Chris. They're on a little men, guy's road trip with and one of the grandkids as well. So good to have you guys. We love you and pray for you. I've got another friend, Gary and Janet Mole here from my former church, and every year they come out faithfully once once a year in the summer to uh, to worship with us. And so, and the rest of you, it's good. <laughs> Everyone is special, okay? Especially if you're new here today. I hope that you uh, felt a warm welcome, and uh, and I hope you know how much prayer means uh, to this body. Every Christian wants to pray. Most would say they need to pray more. Uh, prayer is our lifeline to God. It's where we pour our hearts out to Him. It's where we uh, praise Him and declare our dependence upon Him and bring our requests to Him. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 begins with a call to unified congregational prayer. The leaders are requesting prayer. Not sure what you've been praying for people recently or what you've asked prayer for. But here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, they say to the church, pray for us. Pray for us. Finally, brethren, brothers and sisters, pray for us. And it is a command to pray. It is imperative it must be ongoing, and what we're going to do today is focus on the content of what they prayed, what they said to pray for. They, they said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we would be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. I know there's a lot of things on your mind today, just like mine. A lot of things occupy our minds. Sometimes we, we are just worried. Sometimes we are struggling. Sometimes we are praying for God to help in our marriage, in our, with our kids, or with work issues, or whatever it might be in life. And I want to submit to you today that what you and I need today is to pray, and to pray what Paul says to pray, to pray that the word of God would do its work, and that God would protect his people. It's going to cover a lot of things, if you think about it. Uh, this kind of prayer, I do truly believe that this kind of prayer is the kind of prayer that can change the whole course of our common life and ministry and revolutionize the way we pray. Now, in recent weeks, we've, we've just had, like, amazing, uh, generous doses of gospel truth, right? 
2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 17, just gave us a heavy dose of gospel truth and it was plenty to encourage our hearts uh, as fellow believers. And isn't God so good and kind to us to give us these, these glimpses of his glory? I, I was thinking just a few moments ago about that song, How Great Thou Art. I remember when I was growing up, uh, my mom and I, if we looked at each other while we were singing that song, we would both get tears in our eyes. But I think about that stanza that says, when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on that cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And I think about how good God is to us. And how, how believers are so lovingly spoken of in Scripture. How Paul tells them, and we've seen this in, in previous weeks, how he tells them, you were, you're, you're loved by God. You're, you were called by gospel preaching. You were called to be saved and sanctified, and God chose you. And you're to hold firmly to the faith with your family in Christ. We don't do this alone. And I love how Scripture gives us such a, a bright hope against the backdrop of a, of a world where Satan's doing his dirty work, a world from which we will be rescued. And in the current moment, oftentimes it feels like it's battle royale, and it's just all the constraints are gone, and here's what we know. God is in control, the, the Holy Spirit indwells Christians, and, and we must apply the word with hypervigilance. In every sphere of life, you just let it get into every pore of your existence. When you would appreciate his salvation such that, you know, that phrase, eternal comfort and good hope by grace would just wash over your soul. And that you would anticipate his, his work in comforting and strengthening your hearts in every good work and word, and that you would participate in the work of God in every good work and word as he works in you, and that others' concerns would be your chief concern, others' good would be your hope. And so Paul now has this prayer request. I love it. It's a prayer request. He's got this prayer request, and he wants believers to pray that God's word would do its work and that God would protect his people. That we would pray for God's word to do its work. They're, he's asking them to pray for them. Paul is speaking on behalf of himself and, and Silas and Timothy, and he's, he's saying in verse 1, Finally, brothers, pray for us. That, that imperative command. It's a present tense. It means pray continually. It means pray consistently. This is, this is what, what Jesus told his disciples. You, you see it in Matthew chapter 9 and Luke 10. The, the exact same words being recorded where Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest. Literally beg the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest. Paul saying, pray for us, is, is a typical prayer of Paul. He did it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. He said, pray without ceasing. Pray on an ongoing basis, continually. Have this, have this conversation going with God while you're doing all the things you do. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, brothers, brothers and sisters, brethren, pray for us. He tells the Corinthians, you must also help us by prayer. In Ephesians 6, he says this. In verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. Believers are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Who are you praying for? What are you praying for for them? Do this. He says, do this, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
He consistently asks for prayer. He says to the Colossians, be devoted to prayer. Colossians 4.2, be devoted to prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He says, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of the gospel of Christ on account of which I am in prison. You see, we're built with a baked-in dependence on God. You have all sorts of things in your life. I have all sorts of things in my life that need to be get plugged in and recharged. And if you don't plug it in and recharge, it's going to sit there uh, kind of useless. We were built by God with baked-in dependence on God such that kind of like an electric appliance or device or even your car, some of you are driving cars that need to get plugged in, you need to be recharged. You need to, prayer is, is where you're plugging into the power source, not to get what you want, but to, to declare your dependence and get what you need. Your great privilege is to pray for fellow believers. Those you see all the time, those you don't see all the time. Praying to God with and for other believers. Paul's asking for prayer. This humble human participation in God's work. Boil it down. It's, you pray. If you're a Christian, you pray. You proclaim the gospel. You work with people. There's the life of a Christian. Three Ps, right? You pray. You proclaim the gospel in your own heart, in your own home, and in, in wherever God gives you opportunity, and you work with people. It's what we do. We're to stay fervent in that prayer. We're to we're to always be desperate for God every day, not just when we're in trouble, but all the time that we're pouring out our hearts to God because what you'll find is you never progress beyond the need for prayer. As a Christian, you're not going to get to the point where you say, I don't need to pray anymore because I'm so strong now. Prayer is essential to the life and work of all believers. It's this honest dependence on God, honest dependence on Jesus. And when you pray in agreement with God's program, you will have his power. And you think about it, just even when we come together, that we should be thinking about what we pray when we're here together, what we sing, even, based on, on the Bible, based on what we read in the Bible, that, we, that you would say amen to everything good you hear or pray or read or sing. Sometimes it's been said that familiarity breeds contempt I'm not willing to accept that because a familiarity with the Lord fosters a deeper fondness for the Lord. A familiarity with your beloved in Christ fosters a deeper fondness for them. We should be praying. But what should we pray for? Should we pray for health and wealth? Should we pray for a, a, a new car for everyone? Must be present to win? What should we pray for? What, should we, what are you praying for? What's the content of your prayers? Think back. What have you been praying for? What should we pray for? And what Paul is saying to them is, I, I, you need, the Holy Spirit is saying it through Paul, you need to pray for something deeper that's right from God's heart for his people. It's rooted in the word. You pray, you pray for those who are giving the word, and you pray, here's the first thing you need to pray, that the word does its work. You pray that the word does its work. Paul is asking prayer, verse 1, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. That's interesting wording, is it not? Speed ahead. Speed rapidly. Run fast. Can you picture the, the Bible with legs on it and there's a scurrying around? Kids that are in the services... Uh, first hour, I've got like five works of art right over here in the front row of pictures kids drew me while I was preaching. One even gave me a picture before I started preaching of, of me preaching. He's in hopes of me preaching. And one of the pictures has like the Bible with legs on, and I think with chicken feet, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm interpreting the, uh, the artwork correctly. But can you picture like the Bible like running a, a running? Fast? 
he's saying you pray, but the Bible runs fast. You know why? Because it does. He's saying you pray that the message would spread rapidly, that it would be known quickly, that it would make progress, that it would go viral. It, this word is used of con, the, the speedy, the uh, speed ahead is continual movement forward. It's energy, energy directed for a purpose. It's used of a warrior running to the battle line. It's used of the authorized messenger of the Lord. It's, it's used to refer to prophets, even. He's speaking of praying for the, the swift progress of, of the word of God. And it images a herald with urgent news sent to proclaim. He is speaking of us praying for the free reign of the gospel, that it would go out, it would have free run, that it would spread swiftly and victoriously like a runner racing in a stadium, like an Olympian running on to victory. That's what we're to pray. It's right in line with what the psalmist says in Psalm 147, verse 15. That God sends out his command to the earth and his word runs swiftly. His word runs swiftly. We see it in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 6, it says that the word of, the, of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 12, the word of God increased and multiplied. In Acts chapter 19, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It's running all over the place. The Spirit of God is using the word of God to open hearts to the gospel. And, and, as, and as the people bring the word, as the believers bring the word, the word is swift to do its work. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, a wide door for effective service, effective work has opened to me. Well, isn't that wonderful? A wide door for effective work has opened to me. He's going to walk through that wide door and he's going to bring the gospel. He's going to bring the word of God. But then he says this, and there are many adversaries. There's a wide door for effective service and there's a bunch of people standing in front of the door, but I'm going. Because the word's going, and I'm bringing it, and I've been sent. The word at work in those who believe and does what it wants, it does what it wants and needs to be honored. You notice the next phrase, he says that you pray that, that God's word would speedily go and be honored. Literally, be glorified. That God's word is going to be glorified. God is going to glorify his word. He's going to render it and esteem it glorious. He's going to magnify it. He's going to praise it. And people should consider it wonderful and treat it with respect and have a good opinion of it and think well of it. And as the victorious onrush of the gospel brings glory to God, the people will rejoice. You and I will rejoice. Paul desired that the word of God be honored, be glorified, would triumph. That as more people hear the good news and receive it, victories would be won and God would be glorified. That the word of God would be honored, that the word of God would seen, be seen as valuable, that the word of God would be admired for its transforming power. Well, the word of God is honored when you receive it and when you obey it, when you, when you receive it with faith and thanksgiving, and when you do what it says. Sometimes people will say to, to Christians, you're, you're, just a, you're just worshiping the Bible. That's just a crazy thought for Christians. You worship God who gave us the Bible and he has revealed himself in the Bible and he, here's, what he, here's what God has said about his word. Psalm 138, verse 2. That his word and his name is, is exalted above all things. That he has exalted above all things his name and his word. If you love Jesus, you love his word. If you love God, you love the Bible. That's where he is revealed. He has revealed himself in the word. 
and it will bring you joy in your heart, but there will be opposition to the word. Why was John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation? Revelation begins, Revelation 1-2 begins this way, he bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Sounds great. Verse 9, I was on the Isle of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 6, verse 9, I saw the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Revelation 12, 17, those who keep the commandment of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 19, he says, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. It's from God, and it might bring you trouble as it comforts your soul and changes you. And here is what Paul told them. He says, I want you to pray that God's word would run really fast and be glorified just like it happened with you. And what a, what a sweet reminder. Now, now they get to remember their testimony. Think about it. When you, when you hear of somebody's life just being changed by Jesus and they just love the word of God. You know, weeks ago, several weeks ago, uh, Bud Dunham, one of our good friends, passed on age, I believe it was age 82 or 83, and he had been a believer for 20 years. He had, he had come to faith in Christ in, in his early 60s. He loved the word of God. His life was changed, and he loved the word of God, and it was a wonder to behold, and he wasn't perfect, but he loved Jesus, and he loved the word of God. And here's what Paul's telling them. You pray just like, you pray for what just like happened to you, just as it was with you, as happened among you. The amazing success of the word of God changing their lives and their hearts. In fact, go back to the first letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, just in, in chapter 1 and verse 5. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to, to be among you for your sake. Verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You became examples to all the believers. Verse 8. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so we have no need to say anything. Like your testimony is all over the place. He says in chapter 2, you yourselves know, brothers, our coming to you is not in vain. Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Why do you think he's praying that he would be delivered from those who are wicked? And then in chapter 2, verse 13, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which does, it, which does its work at you, in you believers. So this is what we see happening. God repeats this over and over again, by the way. In different times, through different people, the same work of changing lives and changing hearts, so that there's a testimony of the grace of God, and, and this example, this testimony, spurs you on to want to live like that more and more. When you hear someone's testimony, why, why do we love to read biographies of Christians that have gone before us. It spurs us on to follow their example. And the prayer here is that the word of God would spread rapidly and be honored, this continuing process. So it literally reads, the word of God keeps on running and keeps on being honored. That's what you're to pray. That's what I'm to pray. Isaiah 55 and verse 10 God says, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bear forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. God has spoken absolute, objective, eternal truth that you and I need. He's provided it. 
He's protected it. He's preserved it up till now and will through eternity. The Word of God is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean. It endures forever. It restores your soul and enlightens your eyes. It rejoices your heart. It makes you wise. It warns you. It's more desirable than gold. This is all what Psalm 19 tells us about the Word of God. It's, it's better than anything your heart desires. And he uses his word to, to accomplish everything he intends. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's inspired. It's from God. It's inerrant. It's true. It's infallible. It's total truth. It reflects his glory. His, his perfect word came out of his perfect mouth for his perfect purposes. So his word must not be trifled with. We deny it or reject it and mess with it with, to our own peril, to our own demise. If someone is trashing the word of God, tomorrow they will answer to him. The judge of all will give an account. We'll call everyone to give an account because the judge was risen from the dead. We're conscience bound to obey the word of God. I, my prayer would be that we would resolve to, to live it and hold it now by his enabling grace. Because when Paul says, pray that this will happen, it absolutely assumes that the church is all on board with that and saying, yep, we're taking the word. That the word may run ahead swiftly. But God is more ready to use his word than we are willing to give it. God is more ready to use his word than we are willing to give his word. We should be praying that we wouldn't hinder the work of God and the work of the word by ungodliness on our part or unwillingness on our part because the word of God is not bound. It's not chained. It's not stuck in our, in our mind. 2 Timothy 2 says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as I preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, Bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. So I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. If you're here today or you're listening today and you are not a believer, God forbid that we would hold it from you and not give it to you. We don't need to package the truth. God's timetable isn't ours. The word goes much faster than we operate. In the Bible, you see it going far quicker than we practice. We start thinking we have to massage all the relationships to where they'll trust us and accept the message. We need more faith in the message than our methods. The message is stronger than us. We are told to have speech seasoned with grace. We are told to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. We are never told to set up artificial boundaries for how the word must work. We must be much more open to the working of the word. The longer you wait to tell someone about Jesus, the harder it becomes. The longer you wait to open up a Bible with someone, the harder it gets. You need to give the word of God out generously and trust God to do the work. Set it free, unshackle it. The word's like a lion. It can take care of itself. You're not the curator of the word. You're not the overseer of the word. It's not meant to be doled out in stingy, small quantities. Don't keep it from those who need it. There's an Italian restaurant I like to go to, and it's got good food, but there's one thing they do that's really wacky. You ask for some grated cheese, and they, they go to a, a spot over here where there's a bowl, and they grab, the guy grabs this small bowl with a little small spoon in it, and then brings it over to the table as if he's bringing something from Fort Knox, you know? And he's like, and he, and he, and he takes that little spoon, and he just kind of sprinkles it on your food, and then I'm like, and? <laughs> Let's go. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those Italians that want some, some pasta with my, with my cheese, okay? So just, but the thing is, is that it, it's like, he acts like it's, it's like gold or something. Like you can't only, you can only have a little bit. So I went to an Italian restaurant recently who, that does it right. 
and I asked for some Pecorino Romano, which that's what Italians put on their pasta. Pecorino Romano. And here's what the guy tells me. I loved it. He says, you let me know when you want it to stop snowing. That's my kind of cheese giver, all right? You need to be that kind of word giver. That the word would be glorified. That God would get credit for what happens. That, that even in a culture like ours, where people are really reticent to just be too upfront about the gospel, it's like we're snails. We just like go in the shell when, when the name of Jesus comes up. If you serve in Jordan, where Jenna Weisenberger serves, you know, people want to talk about God. You live in America, you're like, there's this expectation. You won't be too clear about it. You won't be too bold about it. People get offended if you're too upfront about the gospel. So you must be wise, but you mustn't be foolish and hold it in. Like, let it snow. Pray for those who give the word and pray that the word does its work and don't hold it back. And pray, and this is the second thing he's asking to pray, pray that God protects his servants. It's dangerous work that they're involved in. It's dangerous work that you and I are involved in, bringing the word of God. He says in verse 2 that we may be delivered, rescued. The, the, the word has the idea of deliverance with power, that God does the delivering, and Paul asks prayer for rescue from wicked and evil men which is kind of interesting. He's like, aren't wicked men evil men? Aren't evil men wicked men? Yes, and there's two different words here. Wicked means perverse, improper, strange, unusual, wrong, out of place, out of order, unbecoming, outrageous even, improper, not fitting, harmful, unreasonable. He's saying you pray that God would rescue us from the unreasonable, the improper. That word was used of someone that would go up to a farmer and rip his sheaves of wheat to, apart, and instead of giving them to people to eat, he'd throw them to pigs. The word was used of parents who would literally broadcast their, their prodigal son's uh, sins in public so that he wouldn't keep doing bad things. He's talking about Rescue from, from the wicked, those who are capable of outrageous, harmful acts against others. And then he says, and also the evil, immoral, wicked, worthless, guilty, sick in their soul. They put crimes on people. Uh, they're thoroughly corrupted and they're intent on corrupting others. They're not just wicked in and of themselves. They would like others to be as well. There were people that were purposefully and maliciously confronting Paul and Silas and Timothy the Thessalonians had experienced similar kind of situations. They understood the seriousness of it. And what did Jesus ask us to pray? Deliver us from evil. Maybe he's thinking of people like Hymenaeus and Alexander, hypocrites and false brothers in general maybe, or unbelievers of Jews and Gentiles both. Paul and, and those he wrote to had encounters with all of those kind of groups. The unbelieving Jews in Corinth had encounter, uh, put a lot of opposition on Paul. And, and he says this, pray that we would be rescued because not all have faith. And in the Greek, literally, it's not all have the faith. They don't believe the word of God. They don't believe the gospel. They don't believe in Jesus. Not all people live by faith in Christ in obedience to the word of God. And, and the word is either going to produce faith and joyful obedience or a contentious refusal to obey God. The gospel doesn't always find a receptive heart. The faith, he says, they don't all have the faith, the, the, the body of Christian teaching, the, the, the accurate portrayal of who God is and what he does. That's why everything we do should be rooted in a solid handling of the word of God. He says not everyone has the faith. The persecutors had, had, a, had the opportunity to believe but rejected it. In the book of Acts, you see this over and over again. In Acts 13, Antioch of Pisidia, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was being spoken by Paul, reviling him. Paul, though, and Barnabas 
spoke out boldly. They didn't run out of town. They kept speaking boldly. See, when he says, pray that we would be rescued, he's saying uh, that God would, would stand with us. We're not running away. In fact, it says the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. A similar thing happened at Iconium in Acts 14. Unbelieving Jews stirred up Gentiles and poisoned the minds of the people against the church. And then it says that those bringing the word remained for a long time. They didn't run away. Speaking boldly for the Lord, bearing witness to the word of his grace. This is how it always goes. It's in Acts 28, it says, Some were convinced by what Paul said, but some disbelieved. So in Romans 10, he says to them, They have not all obeyed the gospel. We have to deal with, with, the, with the pain of that reality. And then he quotes Isaiah and says, Isaiah said, The Lord, O Lord, who has believed our message? Who has believed what they heard from us? And then he says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. He tells Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Jesus, being trained, constantly nourished in the words of the faith and the good doctrine you have followed, but have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. You train yourself for godliness. So he prays, he asks them to pray they would be rescued from evil and wicked opponents to the word of God. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of contagious viruses that are swirling around the air. Sometimes you wonder, should I take a deep breath? I might catch something. But there is a virus in, infinitely more deadly, infecting every person, sin. And without Christ, people are under the wrath of God and are not living with hope. And for those giving the word, you give it lovingly and graciously and kindly, you're not going to run into people who all the time love what you're doing. But God will protect you, even if you get killed for it. You give the word. See, Paul is requesting a rescue not for personal ease, not so it would be better for them, but for this longing that the gospel would move ahead and be honored, unhindered. What he's not praying is that God would protect them on the way to heaven so they could have fun and have no problems. Life's not like that. This is for those engaged in active pursuit of God's pleasure as the word of God goes out. I fear that we have created a brand of Christianity that many of the faithful of old would not recognize. The Bible's brand is one of humble, bold courage. A focused fixation not on fun, but on faithfulness. Not on greed, but on godliness. Not on methods, but on maturity. And not on ease, but endurance. Our desire, and I know mine is, is far too often for selfish good. Theirs was far more often for God's glory. Not all have faith. Not all have the faith. It is a gift from God. I think sometimes we think that if we are good enough, kind enough, winsome enough, or friendly enough relationally, then people will want what we have. Here, let me prove it to you. There are plenty of people who think you're a wonderful person who do not believe. People need the truth. And the Bible's truth doesn't depend upon whether you believe the Bible. God opens hearts to believe him in his word. This is why Paul said, you know, we, uh, when we come to faith in Christ, this, this veil that lies over our hearts is removed. And he says, we all with unveiled face see clearly. Beholding the glory of the Lord in the word of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. This is why he says, God who said light shall shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But there are some that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they would not see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God seen in the face of Christ. This is, is true. And till my dying breath, I want to reach anyone who's in earshot to be able to hear the gospel and say, okay, that's my life from here on out. You see, some have no faith, but God is faithful. God is faithful. And Paul's asking for prayer. Paul is asking for prayer. That's what we need to pray. God's work would do its, God's word would do its work among his people out to a needy world and that God would protect his people. So if you take seriously this, this command to pray, in a hostile culture, believing the word will actually do its work and change lives and be glorified, that means you stand for something. That means you believe something. That means you're aiming for something. That means there's a purpose for your life. That means you've been captured by something. That means you're not living for yourself. That means you're living for, for, for Christ and his church and his glory. That means you believe in Jesus who, who forgave you and who's transforming you. The word of God has the answers. And you know there are many enemies but you are willing to risk your life for this cause because it is eternal. That's what it means. Lord, I know that there are many things on our minds every single moment of every day. Our minds are probably flooded now with so many things, Lord. Renew our minds. By your Spirit, do your word. I know there's things in our hearts and lives that we're giving real estate to that have no business occupying our lives and our hearts. I know, Lord, that we push so hard to get what we want, but when we, what we need is right here before us. Lord, redirect our hearts to your love, to the steadfastness of Christ, chose us before the foundation of the world, knitted us together in our mother's wombs, saved us in his perfect time, drew us to himself, and gave us new life. Lord, we depend on you. Help us to love with the love that comes only from you. Strengthen your church for such a time as this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand and we'll close singing, Give Me Jesus.
Check. Come up and close us in prayer. Could you please close us in prayer? I'm going to read this while he's walking up. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Father, we are so desperately in need of you and um, as we read, you know, the life of Paul and his plea for prayer, Lord, I pray that we too would cry out in the same way and uh, help us to know how much, remember how much we need you um, and all the uh, work you've given us to do, each of us here, that you made before the foundation of the world. Um, you know, it is sharing the word, yes, but it's also caring and loving for those around us and we just are in desperate need of you. Uh, to help us be bold in our faith, um, loving, and uh, and also in need of protection. And uh, thank you for the reminder this morning for each of us. And help us to uh, take it with us as we leave now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a great day. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor with me.